10 gold at 20% interest? This is ridiculous. Fantasy capitalism is great. <laughs> Dugout in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 105 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to put your heads together and play as a team. But first, the rogue traders try to talk their way out of trouble in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Rainmaker makes the party better than the sum of its parts in the Character Creation Forge. So we are just a few weeks away from Gen Con now, so. One more reminder that if you want to uh, come hear me talk about podcasting, uh, you can join the RPG Academy's Introduction to RPG Podcasting seminar on the Gen Con event registration. It's Friday night at 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like to come watch me heckle, same time, same place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll actually put our uh, our known Gen Con schedule up on uh, the website at TotalPartyThrillCast.com. You can see where we'll be uh, at fixed times and uh, just hit us on Twitter if you want to come meet us, hang out, whatever it is. Uh, we'll try and be as accessible as possible. All right. Speaking of being accessible, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? Well, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our rogue trader game uh, set in the Warhammer 40k universe played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. The rogue trading crew of the His Enduring Light finds themselves on the feudal world of Gontelgrim, which is at war with its native orc population, and they have just recovered an Imperial drop pod full of las weapons and some orcs. Yeah, mostly orcs. Lots of orcs. So you picked it up in your gun cutter, flew it back to your side of the, of the, the front lines, and have set it down, popped open the can, and what happened? Orcs burst out of it and completely destroyed the planetary defense force arrayed against them. Yeah, uh, and almost destroyed the rogue trader armsmen arrayed against them, along with their rogue traders. Yeah, we all fought back bravely until our psyker flare caused some warpy bullshit. Yeah, so that was a common theme. Uh, he adopted a demonic visage, which broke the morale of the PDF. They fled in terror, um, much to the chagrin of their commissar. And then uh, more bad things started happening, including an ominous feeling of uh, something terrible happening somewhere in the galaxy. Dun, dun, dun. But... When the orcs were finally dead, and most of the PDF sergeants were also dead due to cowardice. Yeah, they were executed by their commissar for craving cowardice. We finally got to get inside the drop pod and take stock of what was inside other than horrible orcs. So all of the crates inside are intact except for one. They contain las guns, power cells, regimental equipment, uh, some heavier weapons for the uh, Imperial Guard, as well as some pretty gross liquefied ration bars. Yeah, it was, a, it was a rough landing, so they didn't quite hold solid state. Yeah, also I think they're probably covered in orc spores, so I don't know that I'd, I'd eat them. <laughs> I don't know, sealed crate. <laughs> okay. The m crate that didn't make it intact apparently was full of explosives and munitions, which I guess is, you know, what happened to it. Yeah, that's probably part of the reason the orcs were able to get into the drop pod in the first place is that... Mm -hmm got blown out from the inside so we unload and distribute the weapons to what's left of the pdf forces yeah and i mean that is important right they were using laslocks which are like laser muskets right single shot muzzle loading right laser guns yeah you, you gotta put the energy charge down the, <laughs> down the barrel right and stuff it in there yeah obviously you gotta you gotta rip open the laser cartridge with right. your teeth <laughs> <laughs> and pour the the photons down the barrel. Right. <laughs> uh, but las guns are like repeating rifles, so they've got just a just an energy pack that feeds them, and they can shoot multiple times. So of course, finally, for the first time in forever, we've got an unmitigated win. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, you'll get your just rewards. <laughs> <laughs> because Commissar Herc turns to you. 
thanks you for your efforts and the aid of the Imperium, and promptly charges you with heresy. I hate you, Shane. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. We're totally not heretics. <laughs> I mean, probably not heretics. Okay, okay, not, we're, not all of us are heretics. You certainly That's look true. like That's a true. bunch of heretics. Yeah, I mean, we have Doc around. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, no, Doc is definitely a heretic. Yeah. Uh, this could be bad. Right. This week, we're talking about playing as a team. So part of the appeal of role-playing games in the first place is that they're cooperative. you got a bunch of people sitting around a table, hanging out together, and all working toward a common goal or, you know, more or less common goals. It's not one winner at the end of the night. Yeah, and, and you can have intra-party conflict, and that can be fun if you handle it well. Uh, that's something we talked about in episode 27, like two years ago. But typically the games assume that player's on the same side. Yeah, you're not battling against each other unless something in the story has gone pretty wrong. Yeah, uh, you've been possessed, <laughs> you've died and been resurrected. Okay, so from the GM perspective, uh, unless things are going totally right. <laughs> A howling banshee has corrupted you, <laughs> you know, things. But even when that does happen, right, it's, oh no, the paladin has been mind-controlled, uh, Let's we, fix that. Right. Like, we're not trying to kill the paladin. Right. The paladin is totally trying to kill us, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but let's try to free him. So keeping this collaborative nature of the game like at top of mind while you plan your game and while you play your game can make it a lot more fun for everyone at the table. Yeah. So let's talk about ways that playing as a team enhances role-playing games. Enhance. Right. Let's, let's make the case. <laughs> For playing as a team. <laughs> there is none. Screw them. <laughs> Take what you want. Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> see, you can see here, after we enhance it six times, they're playing as a team. I'm pretty sure it's just blurry. Yeah, it's just a grainy <laughs> photo. So, one of the ways that most RPGs sort of force you into thinking as a team in the first place is role specialization. Yeah, so... Or I guess encourage it, right? Right. Yeah. And and the way that works is that, you know, lots of times a game will force you to make choices that uh, give you abilities and close off other abilities, right? So typically that's like a class. Uh, when you choose a level of cleric, that means you're not choosing a level of rogue. And then within that, like, classes fill functional roles that the game is assuming that the party needs. So... In old school D&D, that used to be the warrior, the mage, the thief, and the healer. Fast forward to 4th edition D&D, and then you had defender, striker, leader, and controller. You know, this is uh, sort of video gamey, but like, where do you think the video games got got it from in the first place? Yeah, I, I love that history of like, D&D came up with it, and then video games adopted it and refined it, and then D&D took it back. And then Grognards yelled about it. <laughs> and then D&D got rid of it. Right. <laughs> D&D quietly buried it without getting rid of it. <laughs> you can still play 4th edition. We didn't take your 4th edition books away. But even in games that have, you know, more a la carte character creation, you know, points, or where you're not required to follow a particular path, balanced parties usually perform better. So, you know, if you're playing a Mutants and Masterminds game and all of your superhero team are fire-based superheroes, you're going to have a lot of trouble when you come up against the lava monster. Right, right. Or the water monster. Oh, fair point. S that's superhero elements. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole idea, right? Like, you're not all supposed to be uh, the human torch. Right. You have one human torch. Yep. All right? You've got one invisible lady, you've got a big bruiser, and you've got a smart guy. With really stretchy arms. That, I don't really know what role that fits. <laughs> it's a, it's I'm a little confused. <laughs> controller. <laughs> Melee controller, finally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Batman, but stretchy. Right. <laughs> you said balanced party, and I think that's important um, to, to draw the distinction between balanced party and balanced character. What What that means is that, like, as a character, I can specialize. And in fact, mm -hmm. I, I probably should specialize. And by specializing, I'm going to amplify my strengths and I'm going to create weaknesses. And I will expect that my party will shore up my weaknesses, right? I won't be the best at everything. I'm, I won't even be good at everything. I'll be great at a thing and I'll be equally bad at something else. And that makes for a good inner party like 
strategic challenge as well as um, you know kind of a, a social camaraderie aspect. Yeah, I think players sometimes when they when they hear about role specialization, they think of it like a straitjacket. You know, like mm-hmm. oh, why can't I do other things? But it really frees you up to not have to be good at everything, right? Because you don't want to be good at everything because it's fun to like let other people share the spotlight. The goal here, it doesn't mean staying in your lane necessarily. It means making sure that the party has either all of its bases covered or most of its bases covered and that no one is stepping on anyone else's toes. And and the flip side is that everyone has a place to shine. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has things where it's their moment, right? We rely on the thief to pick locks. <laughs> Come on, fingers, let's go. This yeah. is what you're here for. <laughs> yeah, this is what we brought you in here for. <laughs> Look, Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> you got one thing that you do and you're about to do it. Okay? Right. You want a thirteenth share of this horde? <laughs> you sneak. You sneak your heart out. You get in there. It's <laughs> a great inspirational song from the Bard. <laughs> Dwarven Bards. <laughs> right. <laughs> do it cause you have to. <laughs> or your clan will be disgraced. <laughs> Um, I, I will add a note here. We we talk about the, the party, right? It's okay to have weaknesses as a party, but it's better to have most of your bases covered in some way. So it, it's okay, you know, if you're uh, 10 out of 10 at some things and just 5 out of 10 at others is better than being just absolutely hosed by something. Um, and the reason why is as a GM, like if, if my party has no way of dealing with uh, a, a hacker... Right, they just have no technical skills. They have no way of combating a hacker. Uh, if I deploy a hacker against them, I've basically said I win. Mm-hmm. Right, which which makes for a bad story because you don't have options. Right, and it means that like I have one fewer resource on my plate as a GM because right. like I basically can't use a hacker. Exactly. Yeah. Like like, or to put it in D and D terms, right? If if all of my party is weak to undead, and I have no way of mitigating that as a party. When I throw undead at them, I know that they're going to lose. That's not a fun story. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, you know, in 3.5 when, like, rogues, there were just, like, nine things that rogues couldn't sneak attack. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, constructs and undead, huh? Uh, um, oh, a dungeon full of oozes, lovely. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna hang it up. Actually, I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm going to leave. <laughs> T- tell you what, uh, I'm going to go get pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so lean into your strengths, right, and, and shore up each other's weaknesses as best you can as a party. Yeah, and in-game, this is a great opportunity to, I don't know, create a rivalry. Like, ha, 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 you can't deal with this on your own. I guess I'll need to save you, little man. Right. <laughs> or to actually build friendships in-game. Yep. Another way to really work together, and this is especially great for tactically-minded players, is to think about and plan strategically. So you want to learn the playing styles both for other PCs and for the other players. So, for example, New Brian, in our gaming group, plays his characters like they have a death wish. All mm. of his characters. Every single one of them. <laughs> when presented a choice to charge or not charge, he's going to charge. Yeah, that's what's happening. And and it's not that uh, his characters are dumb, right? Like, Brian doesn't actually play the barbarian. He plays characters that are not afraid to die or to get hurt. And Brian is the type of player who, like, is okay or actually seems to enjoy the risk that comes along with maybe this is the time when I lose this character. Yeah, and, and it's not a a way of undermining the party that mm-hmm. he charges in, right? Yeah, he doesn't charge the king during he, an audience. Yeah, he isn't starting the fight. <laughs> right. He is starting his action in the fight with a charge. Oh, we're fighting? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's my turn? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to get in there. Yeah. yeah. I want to be in the fray. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. And, and so as the rest of us, right, knowing that that's how Brian likes to play, we have a choice. We can either help him, right? We can uh, give him ways to mitigate the damage that he'll take from being in the front lines. We can heal him or we can uh, take advantage of the opportunities that creates for us, right? The, the cleric has a healing target and, and can prepare those spells knowing that or the rogue has somebody distracting so he can sneak in behind and hamstring them. Yeah. Or say you're maybe a sorcerer who likes really high AC and doesn't like getting hit. Uh, okay, so you're Brent Talandra. <laughs> 
maybe you understand that there's another person over here who's going to take these hits for you, and you sort of stay close. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, you charge? Great. I definitely don't charge. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, um, area effects, right? We might prioritize effects that we can use that either don't affect allies or that we can shape around our allies, knowing that it's it's likely that if there is a big bad in a fight, Brian's character will likely be in his face. You know, he's not going to waste time with the minions. He's going straight for the big guy. You can also spend some time finding combos. This works really well with different spells, but there are some class features or abilities that have a really great synergy with other class features or abilities. Yeah, this is a lot of times what we're doing in the character creation forge is we're looking for ways to synergize these abilities within a single character. Mm -hmm. And honestly, most of the time that we spend building forge characters is trying to figure out how to get multiple components of the combo onto one particular character. Yeah. How do I multi-class this? Oh, I guess we're taking Bard again for magical secrets. Uh, Right. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're coordinating with another party member, that cuts the resource requirement in half for these combos. You can have one character with one component and a different character with a different component. And sometimes that means that you actually don't need a third component of this combo. It's just easier to pull off. Right. Like if if, if my concept requires that I have haste, there's two ways to do that. One is for me to get third level wizard spells and cast haste on myself and then I'm self-reliant and I can I can charge into combat with it on. Or... I can go to my party wizard and I can say, hey, you know what would be great? Could you learn the haste spell and then give it to me when it's important so that I can do my cool combos? Yeah, in the former case, if we have a melee combatant who is casting haste on themselves, we would say, okay, make sure you take the warcaster feed because you need to be able to make those constitution saving throws. Right. But when you have two different characters, well, the fighter doesn't need to make those concentration checks. Yeah, you can hit him all day and it doesn't affect it because the magic is coming from the wizard. And the wizard probably doesn't need to take Warcaster because they're not getting punched in the face. Right. And if he is getting punched in the face, he's got a fighter who's going to come <laughs> rushing back to save him. <laughs> Very quickly. Because he needs that haste. <laughs> Throwing throw a bard who's like, uh, yeah, I'll also polymorph them. Yeah. And they're also hasted. Uh, and now we have a... a T-Rex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also means you don't need to multi-class which greatly increases the chances that you're going to get to your capstone abilities right or you know ninth level spells when everyone wins right <laughs> you get wish okay that kind of means we all get wish <laughs> <laughs> so coordinating your timing is also an important part of strategy um, if you time things properly you can avoid friendly fire uh, you can avoid situations where a character has nothing useful to do in a round, and, and it all comes from knowing what everyone's abilities are and ordering them in the right way to make them most effective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds a little gamist, but do you remember back in second edition, Thieves had the backstab ability? Yes. Right? Which was, yeah, I'm going to spend like three rounds slowly cre- creeping around this rock, and they don't see me at all, and it's taken forever. But man, when I line this up, they're going to get quadruple damage and it's going to be amazing and then in the intervening four rounds the fighter kills it yep with six attacks (laughs) (laughs) it would have been nice if maybe the fighter knew that you were doing that and focused on a different enemy Mm -hmm. or if you knew the fighter was doing that and tried to backstab someone else right that would have been awesome you know, I was reading a Reddit thread recently where people were complaining that like they never used Thieves Can't. Like it just didn't get used on their rogues. And I was so confused. Because I think we actually have characters who will multi-class rogue just to get Thieves Can't so that in game our characters can talk to each other and no one else can understand what we're strategizing. Right. And usually not for combat for social encounters right? like we develop thieves can't so we can signal to each other and coordinate our conversation right, at the party yeah yeah i'm just i'm holding my plate of food and then you know beneath it is my hand and i'm twiddling my fingers that you can see across the room right right <laughs> or we you know we have to make a contact with somebody and we are trying to avoid prying eyes and ears you know those kind of situations and it's way cheaper than spending an entire feat on the one that lets you read lips right <laughs> So this sort of flows into the next point, which is open communication above the table and then also in-game helps you to telegraph your actions. 
so that you can coordinate them and you're not wasting them. Yeah, so an important part of the strategy, right, is understanding the mechanics that everyone has available to them. So again, kind of going further towards gameism than simulationism, it's important that players understand how their abilities work and how their party's abilities work so that they can make good choices. Because your character certainly understands how the wizard's spell is going to help him. It's happened before. I understand how this works. Uh, As a player, I might not. So I need to be able to communicate that above the table to understand what's the right way for us to do this because we want to be effective. And the flip side is if my character has information in the game that your character does not, I want ways in the game to communicate to them so that we can continue making strategic choices. Yeah, and I don't even think it needs to be gamist. Like, if you're an adventuring party, you want to be as effective as possible. You want fights to be short because the longer a fight goes, the more likely you are to actually die. Sure, sure. But, you know, six-second round kind of thing. I think an issue that comes up sometimes when you have specialized roles and you have characters that are trying to combo with each other to be as effective as possible is that sometimes the the proper credit gets lost. Yeah, I, I mean, this episode is called Playing as a Team, right? The team wins or the team loses. There's You, you have to be ready for that sort of putting aside individual interests for the benefit of everybody. Yeah, but sometimes you get that player who's like, you know, who's the striker? And, uh, you know, the person who's putting up the big damage numbers mm-hmm. and just by the nature of the game, they're the one who typically gets the killing blow. Right. So it's it's so annoying and frustrating when there is a person at the table who's just sort of bragging about that. You know, like, uh, why are you even here? Like, I'm the one who's doing all the work here. I'm the one who is, like, killing everyone. But, like, not acknowledging the fact they're only alive because the cleric is healing them. Right. And they only hit in the first place because, you know, someone else was granting them advantage. Also, you know, you had the fighter who spent the entire time getting hit by three different enemies so that the rogue could kill them one at a time. Right. (laughs) Right. I think I've been on uh, sort of both sides of this. Like, I've definitely been playing in a game where, like, I was the leader. Um, you know, the the quote-unquote fourth edition leader where, like, uh, my job is to make everyone better at what they do. Right. Uh, but I'm not really attacking that much. Yep. You know, I'm softening people up. I'm giving bonuses and things like that. And then, you know, sometimes, like, newer players or honestly more selfish players, like, don't really understand what it is, what my role is here. Right. You know, yep. and, and are not getting the, like, I have enabled the vast majority of your successes. Whereas on the flip side, I've actually played um, a character who was built to do a ton of damage, you know. And I remember there was this one time where I, I just dealt a massive amount of damage in one round and took out this this huge monster. And a couple of other people at the table sort of like were a bit deflated. Like they're like, oh, OK, well, that was kind of over quickly. And, and I had to be like, no, no, like. This was a team success. You know, we accomplished that. The only reason that this creature is dead is because, like, you gave it vulnerable 17 all. Right. Which was, like, every hit that I did dealt an additional 17, 17 damage. damage. Yep. And that this guy over here gave me a plus four to hit on every single attack. Yep. None of this would have happened if we weren't all working together. Right. I know you will hate this, but this is a very, like, sports kind of metaphor i don't understand i know <laughs> like the idea that you have specialized roles and that you know one player on the team is there to score all the goals the other players on the team are there to enable that person to score goals and like yes you need him to score but you also need the other players to not give up a dozen goals in the course of a game what is the stat called assists assists Assist. are part of it yep yeah. and then i mean you also have defenders right mm-hmm. or defensemen or wh- whichever sport you're playing and assists are like, they're a stat that's tracked, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think actually is something that's sort of missing in like RPGs or, I mean, do you remember the old days when you only got XP if you if dealt you the killing it. blow? Oh, yeah. oh, that was the worst, man. It was like, why ever work with anybody else? Yep. Just sort of stand there, let them do the work, and then boop. <laughs> it's like, excuse me for my low damage AOE attack. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about it before on the show at... Uh, a con game at a catacon where we're playing fifth edition D&D and I was playing a barbarian. We had a battle master fighter and our group had two rogues. Ooh. And so I stopped attacking, right? Like my move became grapple prone, hold them down. Mm-hmm. 
And then the Battlemaster fighter was like, I give up all my attacks to the two rogues, go sneak attack. Right, right like right in the eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it was just like the barbarian, I think it was, it was a dwarf, right? So the dwarf holds him and then you guys come up and just shank him and we move on to the next target. Very efficient killing moves. And, and the rogues are sitting there and they're like, this is amazing. Like, like <laughs> I never get to roll this many. And like me and the fighter are sitting there like, yeah, great. We're moving to this encounter just fine. And then the DM is like, I uh, built this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I actually love as as a GM when um, through good planning or strategy, the party figures out a way to like completely obliterate my carefully planned encounter. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's good. It's, oh, man, you guys might develop a reputation for planning. It's great when it happens like the first encounter of the night <laughs> it's pretty frustrating when it happens in every encounter of the night well that's why the wicked witch sends flying monkeys right okay <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna teleport in some reinforcements <laughs> flying blink dogs <laughs> <laughs> you plan this oh yeah oh yeah that's been planned for a long time yeah uh-huh. pay no attention to this open monster manual <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking up loot for you guys i don't know what you're talking about right. <laughs> speaking of loot uh Let's talk about how you distribute loot after you do win the fight. So I never really understood the whole like rolling to see who gets to pick for loot okay. first thing. This is like an old MMO thing. So the idea was that if you had you know multiple players working together and there was one good item that came up, you would roll randomly to determine who gets it because only one person can have it, right? And then you had like, then you got roll need, which was... If we have three rogues in our group and a rogue item comes up, then the rogues roll need because they use it. And the cleric doesn't roll need because the cleric can't use it. And so if no one needs it, it goes randomly. But if you mark that you need an item, then you get entered into the roll for it. Was there anything to prevent like a douchey cleric from being like, uh, roll need? Well, I think not... Not initially when like the idea of roll need came out. And that's where the like meme of like, oh, he always rolls need. Because uh, right? it was always like, oh, I'm rolling for another character that I have. Okay. It's like, okay, well, go run this raid with that character. <laughs> like, right, so th- that's where that became a negative thing. And then I think most games now probably just lock it in. But I also haven't played an MMO in quite some time. I mean, like that sounds better than, I guess, what it was in the early days, which, which was just like everybody rolled D100 and like whoever gets the highest just starts picking first, pick first right and yeah. like you wouldn't even pick something you could use you just pick something rare so you could like trade it or sell it or whatever exactly you know? yeah and like maybe that works fine in an mmo game where like you're never going to see these people again but it really doesn't work at all when you are playing like a six month three or five year campaign with like the same characters and the same people yeah the old like diablo 2 just like fastest to click it oh, yeah. gets it <laughs> like, I, like i just walk around holding tab yeah. <laughs> and i look for green and gold right <laughs> Ooh, set ring <laughs> We're 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 in the middle of fighting the boss, uh, but I'm gonna town portal back so I can identify this stupid thing. Right, yeah. This game was called Bail Run. <laughs> Not sticking uh, around. Bail Run one nine six four five. Right. <laughs> uh actually I think modern games now probably just spawn loot individually. So every player sees loot uniquely on their screen. Oh, interesting. But anyway. If you are trying to play in a game where the party is cooperating together. I never understood why like an adventuring party that's in a dungeon wouldn't distribute the gear for both optimal survival and success. Like certainly not randomly. Yeah. Right. Because you've got to finish the dungeon. Like that's what you're here to do. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you live. Um, I I get when you get back to town that you would want to true up the finances, right? Like if you're wearing 5,000 gold armor that you got from the dungeon and I only got a few potions, uh, I want a share of that armor. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I do think, though, that it's helpful to take the long view here. Like, ideally, you know, if you're playing a, a long campaign, your characters know each other well enough, and certainly the players know each other well enough to, like, if you are currently festooned like a Christmas tree with magic items, and, like, I don't have anything, if that is the most optimal way for the gear to be distributed right now we go with that with the understanding that like eventually it's going to get balanced out. yeah yeah and i think in dark sun like we we killed a rogue templar 
And so all the items he had were like rogue items. And so like archer items. So right. like our archer got all those items. Yeah. Because like he's the one who can use them all, you know? And it was like, well, why split them up and have all of us be like less effective when like we can have one awesome archer? Right. Yeah, we do run into trouble when we have attendance. And <laughs> it's like we're balancing our loot with somebody who isn't going to be there for a while. Like, <laughs> we know you're going to be out for the next three weeks. Yeah, so this we would be best for you to have. Nothing. I'm going to borrow this for a while. Right. I'm just holding it for you. Mom, it wasn't mine. I was holding it for a friend. The flip side is when you're not there and then you come back next week and it's like, oh, hey, you've got a new item. Yeah. <laughs> we found you a pearl of power. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you rolled high. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's here it's important to remember that the obvious choice is not always the best choice here. So, like, maybe it's the character who has the lowest defenses or the lowest strength who gets the power armor because that means that, you know, now we have two characters with high strength. Right, right. Rather than, like, one person who gets a small bump and another person who's still weak. Yeah, or, like, a situational distribution. So, like, uh, giving an assassin a sunblade. And normally you wouldn't do that because the sunblade radiates light, right? Hard to sneak around sneak when it's around bright all the time. Carrying a flashlight. <laughs> Although, if you notice, Jedi sneak around all the freaking time. They turn with, their like, flashlights off. Okay. Turn way down. Yeah. You just need to get a, a UV crystal. Oh, yeah, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Why doesn't anyone do that? It'd just be invisible. That'd be amazing. Well, yeah, apparently you used to be able to build kyber crystals out of, like, spare parts in your house, so. Yeah. Now anyway. you have to, like, go on a quest. Man. <laughs> back, back in my Star Wars. I've decided my lightsaber is X-rayed color. Anyway, back to our example. <laughs> the reason you might give an assassin a sunblade is because you know you're going to face a lot of undead. And the sunblade deals radiant damage. So while it might be better off in the paladin's hands in most situations, in this specific case, you'd want to enable the rogue to fight undead better. Yeah, if the paladin can already deal radiant damage and again like in 3.5 the rogue up against the undead like useless yeah yeah it was like a hard counter yeah <laughs> i'm gonna go home again right <laughs> so when you're trying to act as a party and as a team remember that the gm is a part of the team at the table yeah they need to have fun too yeah, so when you're trying to facilitate, you know how much fun people are having and like who is feeling like they're contributing to the story and to the, the game itself. Well, the the GM does a lot of work before they show up. Mm -hmm. So try not to invalidate all of that work. Like if there's an obvious plot hook the GM is putting down, maybe consider picking it up. Yeah, like when you tell the GM last week that you were going to the dungeon, don't come up with a new plan at the beginning of the session this week. To avoid going to the dungeon. Especially when you can see the map of the dungeon. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Rolled up like like drafting plans. Right. Like, hey, all right, you guys ready? You got ready? We're going to have fun? Yeah, and if that means you made a slightly bad choice or a slightly suboptimal choice as a party, roll with it. Because keep in mind, the GM is part of your party. He's, he's the one who creates the opposition that lets you shine as a party. Yeah, and at the same time, it also means not causing chaos to the story even if you are playing a character who is by nature chaotic yeah don't ruin the storyline even if you you're the wacky character don't shoot the king in the face if this is not the time to shoot the king in the face yeah yeah that's a that's a player thing too <laughs> like, yeah the, yeah don't be a crappy player to your gm <laughs> and then i think all of this goes towards building camaraderie at the table between the players themselves, and then also giving PCs uh, a sense of camaraderie. So giving the PCs reasons to care about each other and work together in character, right? Like our goals are aligned. Um, our, our PCs are actual friends now. We've been through enough that like, yeah, I'll do that. Even though it's not what I want to do, it's what you want to do. Yeah, like I think it's fine if it starts off with like an enemy mind situation where it's like, oh, we're forced to work together. But it's nice for the storyline if that eventually like changes to a whatever begrudging respect, mm -hmm. maybe even friendship. Who knows? Like I think the the one that comes to mind is Legolas and Gimli. Mm -hmm. Right? They hated each other at the beginning. Well, yeah, they were racial rivals. <laughs> <laughs> Rocks. I love rocks. Trees, right. trees are ridiculous. <laughs> trees don't even grow rocks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so inter-party conflicts happen, right? I mean, that's that's part of what makes 
fun and dynamic parties and characters. But as players, you need to be looking for ways to resolve those conflicts uh, with an eye towards the better game. And, and I think that helps build camaraderie between players, right? Yeah. Like we were opposites and now we're aligned. Yeah, we talked before about you can play the character with the lone wolf backstory, but like they they need to figure out a way, or you need to figure out a way that they kind of get over that lone wolfiness yeah, pretty got, soon. You got to get out of that one man wolf pack. Yeah. And GMs remember to offer opportunities for the PCs in the party to develop friendships apart from the timeline of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be like during downtime or through side stories, although the, that's great. It it can happen you know, just within the narrative of of even like a combat that's happening. Yep. You know, like I think if you think about comic books or, or TV shows, like all most of the quips and the the fun character building stuff is actually happening in initiative order. I mean, that's Gimli and Legolas, right? Yeah. <laughs> like like they're both killing orcs and yelling out their counts. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> And they're both giving each other crap about how they're killing orcs. Right. And that's happening in the middle of Helm's Deep. Right. right? It's sure it's that banter is also happening when they're like running to chase down some hobbits, you know, but it's most interesting and most fun in the middle of combat. Yeah. Another technique for this as a GM is to give narrative control to the players. So I'm thinking like as the party is returning to a big city and they've got a couple different things that they need to do while they're there right so let's say that two characters need to go to the library and do some research and some more characters need to go true things up with the thieves guild you can give them narrative control of the trip to the library have them work together to narrate it and that helps build camaraderie both between their characters because they did a thing together and then as players because they worked on a creative thing together, mm-hmm. right? Like they came up with the ideas, just them, and they shared them with everybody. And now they share that kind of creative bond. It's like a group project, but not awful. Right, yeah, because you don't get a grade <laughs> at the end. But I did all the heavy lifting on our scenario. <laughs> but I did the presentation, so I get the XP. Right. Sucker. <laughs> and then I think the the best case for playing as a team is when you get that moment of self-sacrifice in your story oh yeah that when those happen those are some of the i think coolest and most intense moments of a campaign because i mean in one they're just they're awesome right like oh no the cleric has been swallowed by the tarask Mm -hmm. how are we going to get them out um i'm going to jump down the throat throat of the tarask right yeah am i going to die probably (laughs) But you know what? I'm probably going to push the cleric out with my last breath. Right. And how awesome is that going to be? Exactly. Um, and, and what makes it so great, I think, is not just the coolness of it in the fiction, right? Because there's like self-sacrifice has that humanistic appeal. But also the knowledge that because it's a game and and the player is choosing to lose something that's important to them mm-hmm. in their character in order so that another person at the table does not lose something that's important to them, their character, right? Like, I I love that idea. Um, And and I think that's what makes it so special is that a person makes that choice, right? That person makes the choice to be better to the people around them, even though it's in a made-up fiction. Yeah, I think it's one of the few scenarios where even people who pride themselves on playing in character don't make that decision if they don't want to like no one says to themselves oh my character would do this but god i really don't want to do i don't want to like sacrifice myself to save someone else yeah. like you have to be bought in as a player in order to like make your character do that right yeah and as a as a gm or actually just as as a party and as a gm when you are creating the story and when you're creating a group that has bonds that are strong enough to have it make sense that one character would potentially sacrifice themselves for another that is what like that is what is leading toward um party cohesion anyway you know because you what you don't want to have happen is the the paladin sacrifices themselves to save the rogue because that's what paladins do and like the paladin's a fool and everyone is like why did they do that i wouldn't have done that yeah and then as a player i felt obligated to do it because like everyone at the table is saying oh you're a paladin you have to Right, and then it loses it loses its meaning 
You know, there there was sort of like no reason for that to happen. And like the player who was saved doesn't even really appreciate it. Right, right. I think even turning back to Legolas and Gimli, right? Like they were definitely, they started off as rivals, people who hated each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see like as the relationship develops, it becomes this grudging rivalry and eventually like a deep friendship. But even in the middle when they still don't really like each other and they're just rivals and like trying to one up each other, that's a situation where they wouldn't let the other die. They would they would actually absolutely like take a hit for the other one because like that's just an opportunity for me to prove that I'm still better than you. Yeah, like one more thing for me to hold over your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if we get out of this, like I won. Right. I <laughs> saved you from that. <laughs> and then like, oh crap, well now I need to save you. And and then also like I want to win fair and square. Like right. I want to prove I can kill more orcs than you and I can't do that if you're dead. Right. <laughs> So I think the main takeaway here is that playing as a team is important, right? And and whatever type of game you're playing in, um, keeping everybody bought in as characters and bought in as players just enhances everything, right? It, it makes the cooperative nature that much more prevalent and that much more rewarding. Yeah, and playing as a team at the table, I feel like is one of the best ways to become more cohesive like above the table as an actual gaming group who takes time out of their lives to get together and like hang out together and tell a story together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really cool experience. Do you hear that, Ishan? I'm just greasing myself up for a trip down the Tarask's throat. All right, well, <laughs> you might be in need of a new character soon then. <laughs> So let's move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Rainmaker. This is a suggestion off of Twitter from Rich Howard, one of the co-hosts of the Whelmed podcast uh, about the, the Young Justice TV show at the YJ Files. Rich says, how would you build the ultimate support PC? Someone who magnifies their party member's effectiveness. So we often call this kind of character uh, a false a force multiplier no a false multiplier Far, yeah multiply by a negative number and all of you are terrible right <laughs> yeah so a force multiplier makes the party better and more effective than the sum of its parts right so it makes everyone who is specialized better at their specialty more so than adding another specialty yeah one thing to remember about this kind of character is that given the way that limited resources work in rpgs because you're spending so much making everyone else better, you are probably not going to be on your own that effective of a character. And you're certainly not going to have very high level abilities. No. But the party ends up making up for it because you bring much more as a whole than you would if you were just one effective character on your own. Right. So we know we're not getting high level abilities, Ishan. No. What's our build? Lorebard 8 devotion paladin eight uh, okay so we're level 16 and we don't have left level 10 abilities yep great knowledge cleric one mastermind rogue three okay i see where this is going so you may be asking if we're going bard why not valor bard because they get combat inspiration so people could use the inspiration die that you give them for their attack or damage roll but people are dumb and yeah bad yeah um so what happens a lot of times is that players forget to use them so you give them the die and it's sitting there but either because they want to conserve resources or they forget about it because it's not one of their core abilities they just don't even when it would have been super helpful yeah so now you have to be that nagging player who's like uh like use your use your inspiration die like now would be a good time yeah and the people are like oh no like i'm gonna i'm gonna save it like there's a certain kind of player that feels like they have succeeded if they've conserved all their resources to the end. That's me. I hate except using except that potions. I understand, right? Because those don't come back. But unused spell slots when you take a long rest, those are wasted. You yeah. wasted those. Yeah, that's true. And this inspiration die at the end of this combat, you just wasted it. Like you know what? It would have been better if I used it myself. Right. 
Um, they also might not have the same like holistic view of the party that you do, mm-hmm. uh, given the nature of your character. So they might not use it optimally. So we're going to take the choice out of their hands. Yeah. And we're going to go for lore. Because lore bard gets cutting words, which lets you use that inspiration die to help your party members. By undermining their enemies. (laughs) And it's just so much fun to roleplay cutting words. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bet you can't hit them. (laughs) No, try it again. (laughs) Uh, Duck. Right. So that inspiration die is going to be a D8. And as a bard, you're also going to get two expertises. Lorebard also gets three extra skill proficiencies. And this is important later because uh, the rules for uh, working together out of combat only allow you to aid in a task that you could attempt on your own. So, I mean, this is a character that is um, high mad, right? Like it requires uh, a 13 in strength, dexterity, wisdom, and charisma. Which is to say, you're not going to have a lot of any of those. Yeah, your ability scores are going to be middling across the board, which means that your individual skill checks are going to be okay. Right. So you might not be the best scholar in the party, but if you have proficiency in, say, history, you can grant an ally who is the best scholar in the party advantage on their check and not have to burn a spell slot on, like, enhance ability. Because also you don't have a ton of spell slots. Right, right. And then you'll also get magical secrets as a lore bard, uh, which you can use to get up to third level spells from any class list. Some really good options are revivify because really what's the most helpful when someone is dead at the end of combat that yeah, (laughs) making them not dead and also (laughs) helping your cleric save spell slots on revivify so that they don't have to use them and can use them to prevent needing revivify. Right. Like flame strike, right? (laughs) Blade barrier. Uh, Haste is also a really good option. Uh, but I would highly recommend taking a good long look at Pass Without Trace. Because that gives you a plus 10 to stealth. Yeah, the whole party. And, you know, it may not be as useful in combat, but, like, out of combat, you know, it really allows you to enhance the exploration pillar as well. Mm-hmm. Because you've already got a ton of abilities that help in the middle of combat. Right. So then eight levels of Paladin, uh, Devotion Paladin, will get us Protection Fighting Style, which is another use of a reaction. I mean, cutting words is is great, but not useful in every situation. So protection lets you impose disadvantage. You get those smites and extra attack. Lay on hands is nice for a bit of healing in your back pocket, but it's really best because you can use five points to just cure disease without actually having to cast a totally separate spell. Right. And of course, the entire reason we're taking Paladin is that aura of protection. So you and everyone, uh, all of your allies within 10 feet are getting plus five to saves and immunity to charm. Right, because you're going to max your charisma if possible. Yeah. Now, we do have a knowledge cleric dip, of course. Which I love because that gets you even more skills with expertise. So you'll pick two out of arcana, history, nature, or religion. Yeah, I guess your expertise skills are pretty much the only ones you'll actually be good at. Right. (laughs) You also get really the best cantrips, guidance, resistance, and your bread and butter spell for this build, bless. Yeah, if you aren't positive what you should be doing, you should be blessing someone because Mm -hmm. it just, the the plus D4 helps at every single level, 1 to 20. Yeah, the stronger your allies get, the stronger bless gets. Right. Um, Pretty much always have it up on the entire party, including yourself, because remember, that extra D4 on saving throws is going to help you on your concentration checks. Right. And just upcast it so it covers everyone in the party. We've also got three levels of Mastermind Rogue, which we really don't usually suggest. No, and when we do, it goes exactly to level three. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we've ever gone past that. We we get a bunch of proficiencies here, two expertises, uh, sneak attack, cunning action mastermind gets you thieves tools disguise kit forgery and a gaming set as well as two more languages but what you're really here for is the ability to help as a bonus action and not only that but mastermind can do that from up to 30 feet so if you can see an enemy you can use the help action to grant advantage on the next attack by an ally against it which is Really great in situations like if you've got a rogue ally who wants to land that sneak attack damage 
or if you've got someone who's a great weapon master or a sharpshooter. Really anybody who can really take advantage of the extra opportunity to hit. Right. And this is a really good use for your bonus action if you have decided that you are going to keep your bardic inspiration dice uh, mostly to yourself for use with cutting words. If you're doling them out pretty constantly, then you know, you'll know you be using the help action a little bit less. So in terms of leveling, you're going to want to start with either Cleric or Rogue. Cleric gets you off the ground really quickly if you're not playing a very long campaign. But if you can afford to delay for a round, Rogue gets you more skills. Yeah, then take probably six levels of Bard, then move into Paladin. And then after like Paladin 7, it doesn't really matter what order you take them in, just whatever you like best at the next level. As for race, human is very good because you can start off with Warcaster. It makes it easier to pass your constitution saving throws that you'll be making for concentration. Mm -hmm. Because you want to keep that bless up at all times. And then inspiring leader is another good one that lets you give uh, actually quite a few uh, temporary HP to your allies. Mm -hmm. Half elf is also good because of the stat bonuses and the extra skills. So your basic approach here in combat is going to be to bless everyone with your action, either uh, inspire someone or use the help action with your bonus. And then as a reaction, you'll use cutting words or use your protection fighting style. That's your basic round. And just passively, your allies are going to be getting plus D4, plus 5 to their saving throws, a plus D4 to their attacks, and somebody's probably going to be getting advantage if they need it. Right. And then you've also got some really strong um, force multiplier spells in your arsenal. You'll have things like hold person to help your allies attack. And then hypnotic pattern, which is a great interrupter because uh, uh, enemy casters lose concentration. It can just be a an encounter ender right. if enough enemies fail their save. Yep. And of course, out of combat, you've got all of those proficiencies. So pretty much anything any of your allies try you can give them advantage because you'll be helping them plus you also have guidance for an extra d4 on almost any check they make and if you take pass without trace you're always moving with a plus 10 to stealth for your allies uh you've got decent healing to to uh, keep them in the fight longer and if they fall you've got revivify so ishan tell me about your rainmaker uh so shane um did you ever take driver's ed when you were a kid i did not really no how'd you learn to drive you didn't. You didn't learn to drive. You don't I, know how to drive. No, I've lived you in drive New York a City my entire life. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. No, I, uh, yeah, that. I, I've i driven lots of things before Deere. I drove a car. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took driver's ed before I got my um, my actual license. And I remember it was like, it was basically like a, a gym teacher, mm-hmm. you know, teaching it. And, you know, they teach you a bit from the books and you watch the videos, mechanized death. Uh, and then you get out into an actual car with like student driver on the top, like the cone. Yeah. And it's a special car outfitted with like the passenger side also has a brake pedal. So like they can stomp on it if you're about to smash into somebody. So I'm driving around and like, I don't really understand the, the, like what kind of space the car needs in the lane. So the instructor keeps reaching over to grab the steering wheel and like jerking it toward the center of the lane. So I'm not plowing into cars on the side of, of the, of the street. Right. That is kind of, my rainmaker she is a gym teacher <laughs> essentially right she spent time teaching at uh, war colleges okay. you know basically yelling at um young recruits who don't know what they're doing you know like no you're holding your sword wrong or that bow is upside down what are you doing apparently you went to three days of adventurer college <laughs> did you did you go to the trump guild yeah because because those diplomas are worthless. I hate to break it to you. You don't know anything. Actually, it'd be worse. You are worse than if you hadn't gone. Right, because you've got debt now, too. <laughs> so that's what she spent a lot of time doing. She's grumpy because, you know, teaching stupid people is, is difficult. So she's either on sabbatical or she's decided, you know what? The teaching is, is no good. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to get out there into the private sector. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some money on my own. I'm going to go adventuring. But old habits die hard, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, she's probably like in her 50s. And like most adventurers are what, 16, 19? Yeah. So, yeah. She's, so she's kind of over it. <laughs> she's just like, what are you doing? That, uh, okay, hold on. Just bless. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, no, you attack there, over there. Stop it. 
oh my god and then tries to give an inspiring speech but it's really more like punching them in the arm and, and it's basically like you know stop being stupid okay how about that then we'll kill the goblins that's okay. my that's my rainmaker i got it okay what about your rainmaker so have you heard of the old adage of the rainmaker um the, the like the, is it that oh not like that stick that like makes the with the beans inside no 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 no, <laughs> no like the con artist like the, the idea <laughs> no. that you uh sell something to someone like uh, i guess it was typically a farmer right promising them that it will make it rain uh and if it ah. does rain you claim credit for it but if it doesn't rain you blame the farmer you say well you didn't use it right you need to buy this from me are instead. you sure you're not talking about a cleric <laughs> <laughs> i am talking about a bard eight paladin eight <laughs> so that is the concept of my rainmaker the the con artist element of this isn't Every character you build in the Forge of Con Artist? Probably, yeah, in some way. <laughs> so the idea here is that my Rainmaker goes into a dungeon uh, with a party, right? Builds them up to make them feel like they're really great adventurers and then just waits until they fail and takes their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so blesses them until they choose no longer to concentrate on the bless. Well, yeah, so it, it's a it's a long con. You know, you gotta you gotta walk them through a couple dungeons, but then like they do all the hard work you boost them a little bit you don't take a whole lot of risk on your phone and then they die and you collect their stuff you realize that this episode was about playing as a team right yeah i know you, that? <laughs> <laughs> you play as a team until you don't i think that's uh, a cool npc because then on the gm side they can like the bonuses can be secret right? right right like you don't need to tell people that oh you got a bless or whatever you know you they can just think they're like, "Wow, it's an, I'm really great at this," or "This is really easy." Yeah, right. And it turns out that nope, they're betraying you the whole time. We get to the throne room and go screw. <laughs> well, I think to make this a PC, you would want it to be a redemption story, right? Uh-huh. So my raymaker would have been caught and exposed, and would be persona non grata now. Uh, so trying to rebuild a reputation as a competent, honest adventurer. Maybe has explosive runes tattooed on their skull. Some Uh sort of, I don't know, suicide squad. (laughs) Great. (laughs) You know, we tried Gesh, and that didn't work. (laughs) Uh, On that note, (laughs) if you want to support the show for some reason, the best way to do that is to become one of our patrons. You can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some dubious rewards. So if you find that you can spare an extra $5 or so a month, uh, please consider giving it to the Malala Fund to support girls' education. But after that, if you've still got $5 to spare, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep going every week. You can also give us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do that, we'll read your review on the air. So this week we have a five-star review from Daniel Stewart at Tabletop Tapes. This is Accessible and In-Depth RPG Talk. These guys have a great chill atmosphere going on without coming off as clueless. They really know their stuff and will tell you all about it in a way that is both informative and entertaining. I love the summaries of the campaigns they're playing, beginning with the Eberron campaign, and now they're on Rogue Trader slash Dark Heresy. They're stories that are just the right length to avoid feeling like an info dump, and we get to listen to them progressing, like how the current campaign started as a troll game. Support these guys with your ears and a review. And Patreon, if you've got the dosh. I like that he understands that it was a troll game. It was not a troll game. <laughs> it totally was. You guys were trolling me, if anything. What? We were? We built really good characters for your to test your one-shot. No, you we had pre-gens for my one-shot. You didn't do anything to playtest my one-shot. They were, they were broke, garbage pre-gens. We you, built great characters to you test your one-shot. broke my one-shot, set up competing <laughs> assassin's guilds. True. That's true. <laughs> I learned nothing. And you didn't even finish in one. We, you know, we took four sessions. Fine. Yeah. It was a four-shot. It was. Yeah. But, you know, you taught us a lesson, I guess. <laughs> what lesson? Uh, we lost uh, an entire shuttle killing those killing those people. That was a harsh lesson. Then we had only one shuttle. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I also like that uh, David recognizes that we are no longer clueless. Yeah. I spent a long time on the prime, but, you know, a few years in sigil and, you know, learning the cant. <laughs> so proud of you. <laughs> yes, recognition. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? 
We're talking about initiative, and that's inspired by the Unearthed Arcana for Greyhawk initiative option. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the High Noon Duelist. Well, that's it for episode 105 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.